Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast would dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, welcome, everyone. Today, uh, it's a beautiful day here in New Orleans, Louisiana, broadcasting live and I have two guests with me today. You know, normally we have one uh, special guest, and today I'm uh, feeling um, uh, happy to have two really special guests that are here that we have so much to talk about in a short amount of time on a really important topic of emotional intelligence, um, particularly in children. And uh, the, the two people that I have are authors and and um, recognize uh, experts in this area. Um, and so let me introduce to you uh, them. They are uh, Helen Hadani, who is a, uh, currently a fellow at the Brookings Institute, um, Institution, and she does policy-focused research um, on the benefits of playful learning in formal and informal uh, contexts. And we have Rachel Katz, who teaches social and emotional learning skills to parents and children, and has a wealth of experience of years uh, as an early childhood educator and school leader. So welcome, Helen and Rachel. Hi. Thank you so much for having us. Well, so glad. And, you know, I've had a number of people who have talked about different aspects of emotional intelligence, who people who who have – programs that are that run in schools and otherwise and um several times we've had different researchers different aspects to this and i i am uh, particularly interested and i know today we're going to talk about some advice you might have for educators and parents about raising and developing uh emotionally intelligent children but before we we dive right into that i know you have a book and we're going to talk about that um as well but before we dive into that, I'd love to hear a little bit about both of you. Um, we'll start with you, Helen. I know you're at the uh, Brookings Institution, and, um, you know, we've seen uh, these. A lot of times people, at least for me, I've seen um, on, on uh, cable news where an expert will, will have an opinion, and that's why I assume there's a lot of policy research that goes on there. But uh, tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing and your expertise. Yeah, thank you so much. For saying, yeah, thank you for having us on today. So the work that I lead at the Brookings Institution, yes, is, is around education policy, global education policy. And my work in particular focuses on play and playful learning and is really at an interesting intersection of urban development and what we call placemaking and the importance of public and shared spaces in cities in particular and how we can make those just more interactive and more playful for young children and their families so that we we often quote this statistic that um, children in the U.S. and many other developed countries only spend about 20% of their waking hours inside a classroom. 
Mm. And so what we're trying to do is address the other 80%, as we like to call it. So the 80% of time that young children spend with their families in the community um, and trying to, again, take advantage of the time that they spend at the laundromat, at the supermarket, waiting at the bus stop or the train stop, and trying to create really interactive, meaningful, playful experiences in those spaces to spark high-quality caregiver-child conversation and interactions that we know provide the foundation for really healthy development and learning. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. And, uh, Rachel, what about you? I know that you've been a a teacher in early childhood and you've been a school leader. Um, Fascinating to hear that you've uh, created and written television for uh, networks like Nick Jr. and Children Television's Workshop. Uh, tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing and have done. Yeah. Um, so, as you said, I have been an early childhood teacher and also a the head of school for early childhood and um, primary. And um, I always felt as if, while I loved being in the schools and it was super dynamic and working with parents and children, um, I always felt that maybe there was other audiences that could uh, also be touched by, you know, really good educational programming. So I, I kept my, um, I kept my door open to writing and uh, working with directors on educational television for all these years Um, and also did a lot of work with toy design and and reading programs and other things that would hit larger audiences than just the schools that I was working with and that's just been a personal passion and a love of mine and again it was a way similar to the work that Helen is doing with uh, Playful Learning Landscapes it was similar to this idea that we can be hitting really large audiences of children um, and helping them to grow and give them impactful educational experiences mm-hmm. from all different kinds of medium. Oh, absolutely. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. You know, um, as I said, I've had a number of people who have been on the show and, you know, e- emotional intelligence as a construct has really um, hit a chord nationally and internationally and so it's really become kind of a household phrase now and um i dare i say maybe in the last 10 years um really exponentially more conversation about um emotional intelligence and uh individuals being um having a great you know uh acumen uh, uh around their emotions and so I'd like, I mean, either of you that would like to answer this, what exactly is uh, emotional intelligence, if you, you know, in a nutshell? Rachel, you want to take a stab at that first? I'm so sorry. I missed a tiny part of that. So if oh, you, <laughs> there was yeah, just no, a little. <laughs> sure, sure. I was just basically asking, you know, at the end, I was saying, that, you know, it's been around. You know, it has gained uh, a great deal of, uh, of of attention over the last decade or so. And so just saying, you know, for, for a number of people, um, this idea of emotional intelligence is new, but um, their definitions are kind of 
uh, all over the place. And so I wanted to find out from you, what, what for you is emotional intelligence? What is it exactly? So, um, okay, so Helen, I'll take a stab at this. So the reason that we wrote this book is Helen and I were, I was running the school and Helen was sort of offering the research to the school and we were taking the research and putting it into an applied practice at the Bay Area Discovery Museum. Uh, We had a, a preschool on site. And one of the things that we started to notice was that parents had a lot of expectations about their children, in particular about the children's behavior and their children's sort of understanding of their own emotions. And Helen and I started to then look at what is the meaning of, like, what is, what is the parents, what are their expectations? So I would say at a young, looking at emotional intelligence with the younger years, I would say it's helping children to understand that there is sort of information that's coming into their bodies, you know, that they feel, um, and also sort of an energy that they feel that's happening within them in relation to their environment, things that are stimulating them, things that are exciting them, and also between themselves and others. So if there's, you know, if you're having a conversation or you're interacting with a friend, you're going to be taking in information and some energy and you're, from that friend and then you're going to have to sort of translate and understand what's going on. And then there's that sort of uh, interpersonal dialogue that's taking place. So when mm-hmm. we started to look about to define emotional intelligence, it's sort of understanding what's happening within you and between you and others. And so that's sort of the working concept that we use in the book. Yes, yes, interesting. Um, and and so um, I, I've also read where you know a lot of people have talked about how important uh, emotional intelligence is in the workplace. And so there's been a lot of articles written about that lately. Um, and and so I think certainly appropriate that. Um, we're thinking about, so how do you build um, that in children and in young people? And, and so I, I would love to know a little bit about the history of that, where um, did it start really with people thinking about the, from a developmental frame, thinking about children um, developing healthy emotional uh, regulation and, and competence, um, or was it that we start, you know, we, we saw when that did not happen, and so we started asking questions. What, you know, kind of what came first? Was it, you know, uh, from a research or inquiry perspective, was it that in, in adults that we started investigating, or did we really understand that the capacity building had to take place um, with younger, with younger uh, uh, people? I, um, I, oh, I Helen, think, you want to take? Okay. Yeah, yeah Helen, I'll take a, a first stab at that one. Um, well, I mean, as I was hearing you talk, I I was thinking about one of the chapters in particular in our book where we talk about executive function skills, right? So, I mean, to start, I don't I don't know the, the exact answer to your question. It's a really great question, um, but I think Rachel and I both being you know child development experts and researchers, we we definitely come at this from that point of view and knowing that there is you know, a wealth of research 
that shows and demonstrates and supports that children who have strong social-emotional skills, strong executive function skills, strong language development, that's another uh, chapter that we have in the book, that just sets them up for success in school and in life and in the workplace. And so just to take the example of executive function, these skills are things like self-control and cognitive flexibility, your memory, your working memory in particular, and focus and attention. And again, lots of developmental research shows that these are very, very powerful predictors for children's success, not only in an academic environment in a classroom, but also outside that, meaning that often we think about IQ scores, right, being very predictive of how successful someone's going to be. But lots of research now shows that executive function is is maybe even a more powerful predictor of how you're going to graduate from high school, you're going to have a good job, you're just going to be happy in life. And knowing that these skills are critical not only in a classroom environment, but also for social and emotional learning, because when you think about it, when you're interacting with other people, you learn to take turns, you learn how to collaborate, participate in a conversation, that takes a lot of self-control and inhibition and cognitive flexibility and focus and attention. So these are skills that we as, you know, developmental researchers and child development experts really feel, we, we felt the need to make, to help parents understand the importance of these skills and how to help their children develop them from a very young age. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, and, yeah. and so you were going to say something else? No, I think that as Helen's point is 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 exactly sort of on you know on the mark is like thinking about executive function and then we also spend a lot of time in the book talking about language. So when you have these executive function skills that you're working on, this cognitive flexibility, the focus, the attention, the impulse control, you also are choosing the right language to use at the right time. And that's really important, too, in that research shows that children with sort of larger vocabularies and the ability to express themselves as precisely as they need to convey the message that they want to get across or to explain the feelings that they have tend to have, you know, more emotional intelligence as well. And so... Mm -hmm going hand in hand with executive function is really helping your child to build a broad vocabulary. And that can come, and we offer lots of practical tips ranging from, you know, reading with your child, reading all sorts of books, even if there are books that aren't mentioning at all, you know, emotions, you can always ask your child to imagine how a character is feeling. Um, And then to, you know, to sort of bring to ex- expand and extend the story to an um, to an emotional place when you're reading with your child um, and we offer even ways to use puppets and just fun things for your child where they'll engage in a playful way because um, when kids have new experiences they tend to want to learn more and engage more and so that's a great opportunity to really build on their language build on their executive function by doing fun new things with them yeah. You know, one, one thing that really sticks out for me in this and listen to you describe some of the things that parents can do 
is that you you have to be intentional about this. And often, um, I just, you know, it's one of those things that unless you really take a parenting class, um, a lot of times you you just, you don't know. I know I never heard groups of parents sitting around talking about what they were doing to develop their children's emotions um, or help them to become more uh, emotionally um, you know, competent and, and intelligent. Never heard those kind of conversations and, and having been in conversations with developmental psychologists and what have you, I just think about um, that I never heard that. Um, what I heard were conversations about language development, like uh, second language development um, or early math skills and early literacy skills, but not early emotion um, regulation and, and competence. So, um, but back to the point about being deliberate and intentional that, and it all makes sense to me though. It makes perfect sense that um, when you want, whether it's adults or children to get better at something is that there, there are uh, strategies you can deploy to uh, develop that skill and so everything you talked about from certain language, um, but, but also give, giving them opportunities to practice at, at knowing what's appropriate responses or, or uh, adequate responses in different situations. So that it's about practice as well. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you bring up such a good point that, you know, we have tended to focus on, especially young children's development, with those early literacy, early numeracy skills, early mathematics skills, as you say, and we're not talking a lot about emotional intelligence. And I think, I mean, Helen, if I can bring this up now, um, I think sure. so we, we wrote the book in two parts because we were aware of this idea fact that there's a lot of information out there for parents, but is there an applied practice? And so mm-hmm. what we did was the first part of the book is really sort of front-loading you, help educating you on how the mind and emotional intelligence is developing in a young child. And then the second part of the book is, you know, we sort of say, okay, parents, now that you know this, or edu- it's not just parents, it's educators, anyone who works with children that's interested in this, we say, okay, you know, caregivers, um, teachers, parents, now that you have this information, here's an applied practice, and we actually call it the MIND framework. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's an acronym for, um, you know, when you're working with a child, what to keep in mind, you know, and how to help them develop their emotional intelligence, you know, their mind and their thoughtfulness. And so that's very clearly outlined as the second part of the book, an applied practice. Mm-hmm. Applied practice, absolutely. Yeah, so that you feel like, oh, gosh, I have all this information. You know, what could I do with it? That to your point about saying um, bringing parents together, you know, giving parents the tools, the intentionality that they need to then actually use this information to make a difference while their child mm-hmm. is developing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and, and just building on, you know, part of your question, Brian, and, and something that Rachel said in terms of parents do tend to focus a lot on, you know, academic development in the classroom, literacy, math, and 
I think there's lots and lots of good resources out there, right, to support parents in, in how to develop those skills. But I think in the social-emotional area, that's a, that's a space where Rachel and I felt that there, there could be more out there for parents to make, especially a lot of the there's so much research telling us how children learn, how we can develop these skills starting very early, but it's not very accessible to parents. And it's not easy, right? Because when you're talking about mental space, things like emotions and intentions and thoughts and beliefs, these are, you know, for lack of a better term, invisible, right? So they're hard mm-hmm. to know, like, how, how do I develop those you know, in, in my child, like their language development, you can see because they're starting to, you know, say phrases and, and know more words and things like that. That's more visible, right? Or things like physical development. Obviously, we see that they're crawling, they're walking, they're running. But social and emotional development, it's difficult to, to see, to actually see the development, right? And so that's why we wanted to try and, you know, break this down as much as we could take the research, try and take the most relevant and practical parts of that and explain it in accessible terms. We also have some really fun infographics. We have a fantastic graphic artist, graphic designer that we worked with that really, again, tries to make these concepts visual so that parents can visualize it and know hopefully when they're in the moment with their child and and need something to take a moment and to be, like you said, more intentional versus, you know, impulsive in their sure. parenting. And so that's the full goal for, for, yeah, for the book. Yes. And, you know, I, I uh, paid attention. I have four daughters and I uh, paid attention to uh, a lot of the things that they said. And it amazed me over the years. Um, it, and it appeared as they, you know, as new children came into the family that they would, they seemed to come with more and more, <laughs> you know, like they, that they had, they understood more, but, um, yeah. and, and I'm sure it was just probably my observation skills got better, but they, they really uh, seemed to be able to understand and process very complex things. And, I think emotions are one of those areas where we tend to, even at very young ages, that we want to shield them uh, rather than develop them. Um, but that um, I'm sure you, you, there's probably something where you deal with that in your book um, where, I mean, there are a number of topics. And I just think about you saying things like um, there are characters that you, you that through play that they're introduced to and you ask questions like, how do you think they feel about that and introducing feelings? And, and so all emotions are not positive, happy emotions. And so how do you deal with that where you have young children and, and sometimes and I've been on the other end of the research in where people have said things like, they don't want you to even mention certain constructs to them because they, they don't, their children aren't ready, even though they are developmentally ready, but they don't want to talk about those topics. I mean, those are really, I mean, really good points you bring up. I'm sorry, Helen, you go on. No, no, I, I'll just make a quick point and then definitely turn it over to you, Rachel. Um, but, yeah, hearing you t- talk about that, especially in, you know, in these 
really worrisome times that we live in today with COVID and lots of, you know, violence. Yes, talking about emotions, all kinds of emotions, whether they're positive or negative, for young children in particular, in a play setting is often children can express those emotions or learn to express them in, in play, I think, better than in any other context because it's a safe space for them where they have, you know, they, they might not have the exact language to express that, but at least through other, you know, other means that we, we often, we talk about play and playful learning in the book a lot and having that space and context and interaction, whether it's with peers or with their caretakers or other important adults in their life, that, again, research shows that just in a playful setting is one of the best places for children to develop their social-emotional skills. And so just in general, um, whether it's with emotions or other topics, scary topics that kids may not you know, feel safe talking about or expressing in other contexts. It's important mm-hmm. to know that in a play context, that's often where our children are able to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also, I mean, giving children the opportunity to, you know, there's this sort of, we, we tend to think that, oh, children will understand a, a lot, and we're not very explicit with 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 the words for emotions because maybe we don't want to introduce them to the words, let's say, anger or jealousy or fear or sadness. But children pick up on these things. They mm-hmm. feel them. They know them. And when you give them the words to work with them and you give them the opportunity to play and express how they're feeling, even through their pretend play, it's an outlet for them to to feel the emotion, know the emotion, and figure out how to work with it. If you avoid these emotions and you don't give them the opportunity to know them, explicitly know them, when they come up later, the child doesn't know what to do with them. You know, children learn from repeated experiences. They build, they construct the world around them through doing things, through testing things over and over again. And so we do a disservice to our children when we, when we avoid things that are real in our world, you know, mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. feelings of anger and fear and jealousy. So when we give them the opportunity to explore them, we give them the chance to know what it feels like. Mm-hmm. And then we give them the chance for, them, for the, the child to figure out how to work with it. Sure. And then they're sure. off to the races. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, I I wonder um, as time has gone on, obviously in whether it's social media, but also mainstream media where we're talking about television, things have become say more graphic, um, more explicit in in detail, um, both visually and verbally, and so. Um, you know, I guess I, I just kind of wonder what advice do we have for for parents that are are raising young people uh, in this this world to hear and see things that we previously at very young ages were shielded from. 
um, things that might be beyond their ages of, of comprehension, of their reasoning ability, outside their experience. And, and it's not just about, well, tur- you know, I've heard people say, well, turn the TV off. Um, you know, you, you, you'd have to live a pretty isolated world because media is everywhere where there are video uh, monitors everywhere showing graphic images. Um, and so what advice do you have for parents about what to do when they encounter these emotionally um, loaded situations to try to explain them to children? Are there are, I mean, things in your book? Are there uh, other resources that you can point to to help current day parents of really young children to navigate this? I mean, I think one thing, yeah, I, I'll, I'll start, and then, Rachel, you definitely take over. One thing we definitely talk about in the book, just in general, um, but I think applies to, to your question, is is asking questions rather than telling, right? And you're, you're totally right that media surrounds us, so you can't turn off the TV. You can't turn it off, right? You can't, you, you can't you know, live in a hole, basically. Like, mm-hmm. children are going to learn information. They're going to hear things at school. They you know, things that they might not understand and so hopefully will come to you as as a parent or, or care you know, caregiver with questions. Um, but we talk about asking questions to your child with your child um, rather than telling, right? So really trying to get an understanding first of what does your child understand about this situation or whatever topic you're talking about and then really trying to work with them on and also explaining that you as the adult don't always have the answers, right? I think that's a, another point that we try and make is that you are, you know, as, as an adult figure or care, caregiver, not always all-knowing. And so there's certain things that, you know, you might not know either. There may be somewhere to find out their information. There might not. And so I think also making that point um, to children as well. But I'll, I'll turn it over to Rachel and, and knowing she has so much more experience in the classroom setting and working with parents. Well, no, Helen, I think that your points were excellent, and I appreciate you bringing up that whole idea of asking your child what they saw, what they understood from what they saw, what they, um, the beliefs that they're starting to develop from what they saw um, or what they're hearing around them so that you can understand what, you know, you can understand how your child is processing the the information. Because Mm -hmm. sometimes if we talk at our child and we tell them, oh, this is what's happening, we might choose language or words that they don't understand or that we're planting seeds and beliefs that they're not ready for. Mm -hmm. So it's always best to to lead with questions, especially if your child is at the age where they can ask, you know, and answer questions. And, mm-hmm. and asking and answering mm-hmm. questions within the language skills that your child has mm-hmm. um, is, is, you know, is what Helen was saying. And then we also mention in the book that really what children are looking for all the time, first and foremost, is to feel safe is to feel validated, you know, accepted that they're, that someone is listening to them, that they have some agency, and that they're loved and cared for. Mm-hmm. So in, in, within, you know, the world of a lot of scary 
things going on all the time and unknown things that are happening and, you know, pandemics and masks and viruses, all these things within that, if we're just always reinforcing to our children, you know, no matter what, I'm going to do my best to make you feel safe. I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to care for you and I love you. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what a child needs to feel in mm-hmm. in order to sort of develop that confidence to then tune into their emotions and then to, 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 to be with their feelings and to express mm-hmm. and communicate their feelings to you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and I just, you know, it, 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 so I told you at the beginning, the 30 minutes goes really fast and we're already over time. And so I just, I want to be respectful of your time and, and thank you for um, what you've shared, and it has really been enlightening. Um, anything else, just in final thoughts about you want to share, let people know about um, your book and um, any other ways in which they may reach you, any, any uh, blogs you might have or podcasts or anything that you can share with them about how to reach you, um, but particularly any last thoughts you'd like to share about uh, uh, who your book uh, might be interesting to. Helen, do you want to share some of your social media stuff? Your yeah, sure. I mean, uh, um, you can find more information about the the work that I do at the Brookings Institution at Brookings.edu. Um, you can also find me at Twitter at Helen S Hadani, and. Um, and then uh, the book, you know, if you're interested in, in, in purchasing our book or learning more about it, The Emotionally Intelligent Child, it's, it's offered, we always say, wherever books are sold. Um, also um, available at our, our publisher's site, newharbinger.com. But thank you again for, for, for having us on. Yeah, thank you so much. And because there are many books with similar titles, um, you'll you'll know it's our book if you see a scale on the cover with a heart and a brain and a big uh, light blue dot that says, or a light blue circle, and inside it it says the emotionally intelligent child. And then it's effective strategies for parenting self-aware, cooperative, and well-balanced kids. And um, yeah, thank you so much for having us. No, thank, thank you so much for being here and having this conversation with me. I learn a lot. As I said, you just reading some of the things you've already published and, and talks you've given, you've added to me, and I'm sure people who've listened in, uh, you've added to them as well. Just wishing you both great success in your research and your practice uh, in the future, and I certainly uh, will be listening and reading um, for, uh, into the future for your work um, and hope to hear from you again. And so until then, go well, stay well. Thank you so much. <laughs>